Christians continue to happen as we see more and more stars that we were never able to see before. Beautiful pictures of what God has done. Perhaps we could say pictures of God's glory on display for us to witness. Perspectives of faith, perspectives of God, changes. And that's a little bit of what happens for the disciples in today's passage. The disciples will have a transformation of what's going on, of who Jesus is. And sometimes when we when we have these transformations that are such visual pictures, they're really hard to get into words. Like if we try to describe the the images from the James Webb telescope only using words. When we try to describe uh, the the Grand Canyon. If we decide to describe the Grand Canyon, we say, yeah, it's a crevice in the ground. Won't fight to it justice. It was formed by a river. Okay, yeah, let's fight to it justice. And maybe that's a little bit what we're going to experience when we read about Jesus' transfiguration. So why don't we head there to Mark chapter 9. We're going to begin at verse 2. It'll be somewhere around page 820. And students, if you have your NRG with you, that'll be page 1,231. We'll read the first thirteen this morning. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up to a high mountain where they were away. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could reach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking to Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, That good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He didn't know He was close white. Then a cloud appeared and covered him, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, who I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they were seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, Why did the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, To show Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer and be reckoned? But I tell you, Elijah has and they have done to him everything they wish, just as it was written about him. In chapter 8, 
the end of chapter 8 and the beginning of chapter 9, Jesus continues to expand the disciples' understanding of who he is. In chapter 8, Jesus began transforming their understanding of what the Messiah would be like. Verse 29 in chapter 8, which was Peter, called Jesus the Messiah. And just after Peter called Jesus the Messiah, Jesus went on to talk about the Son of Man and how the Son of Man would be rejected by the elders, rejected by the chief priests, rejected by the teachers of law, and how the Son of Man would suffer many things. And after them, Jesus, who calls the Messiah, and now talking about suffering, he invites them to think about what St. Patrick Julia preached on last week, that if we want to join him on that journey, they too are going to suffer as they take up their crosses and follow Jesus transforming the concept of Messiah. They had a vision of a Messiah coming and ruling in power and authority. A Messiah coming and forming an army and, and subduing all the nations. And yet, that's not what Jesus talked about. Jesus instead talked about a suffering Messiah that will experience the breath of the evil of humanity and just keep going through. And even with this, if we get later on in Mark, the disciples have this, this glory in mind, the Messiah and his kingdom, and they even argue about what type of great positions they're going to have in, in this new kingdom. Who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to sit at the right hand of Jesus? Disciples are perhaps overlooking, which is really perhaps easy to do, overlooking the suffering which Jesus says he is called to, but also the suffering in which he calls his disciples to. But in the midst of the shares of suffering, something else happens. It's this passage we just read. After six days, when we began studying Mark, I said, the thing I love about Mark is that Mark, he doesn't really waste extra words. It goes from story to story to story. Jesus does something, and immediately they go somewhere else, and he does something else. Jesus does something there, and it says, and they went here. There's nothing about time except for right here. He's a the first time in Mark that we see after six days, Mark is, is setting this in time. After six days from when Jesus was claimed Messiah by people. After six days, uh, six days after Jesus had just talked about the suffering servant, the suffering son of God. Six days after Jesus had talked about the suffering and the, the taking up the cross in order to follow him, he takes three of the 
It's supposed to be a reminder. Perhaps maybe it's not a reminder to you or I, but to, to those who first heard, they were supposed to be reminded of someone six days in a month. And the reality was, it was taking them back to Exodus, where God's presence was on a mountain, carrying Moses, teaching Moses, giving Moses the commandments to fix things. The first prophet, the Jewish tradition, placed Moses' ascent off the mountain as somewhat of an enthronement of Moses over the people. And now Jesus is going up a mountain to be enthroned in some sense. That's not the only similarity that we see between Jesus ascending this mountain and Moses ascending Sinai before him. In Exodus 24, verse 1, when Moses goes up the mountain, he takes three named people with him. Along with some unnamed people, Jesus takes two James and John, the three named people. When Jesus is up on the mountain, suddenly his clothes begin to gleam and to shine brighter than anyone could ever make. When Moses came down the mountain, his skin was shining so much that the people became fearful. Just as Peter and James and John were afraid, fearful, frightened by what was happening. And in both instances, it was God in the form of a cloud speaking his will to Moses, and then now, later on, speaking his will to the disciples and what they should do. God is sending Jesus, showing that Jesus is continuing exactly what God has started from the beginning. What God has started with Moses is now being continued by Jesus. But the other thing that's happening here, by Mark carrying the suffering of the servant, the suffering son of man, directly followed by the glorification of Jesus, is to tell us that the suffering that Jesus experiences is not in opposition to the glory of who he is. The suffering that he experiences is, is not something that goes against him also being divine. And so they, they head up this mountain together, and Peter, James, and John see Jesus transfigured. Transformed. And they see the two other figures with him. Moses, but the first one mentioned, is Elijah. And unfortunately, the only thing that we learn is that Jesus talked with him. Wouldn't that be fantastic? 
wonder what they were talking about, because we never will know. Here we have this, this great thing happening. The Lord going up this mountain, meeting with Moses, the first prophet, meeting with Elijah, a prophet who would come later, and yet we just get the talks together. But even though we don't know what the, the conversation was about, even though we don't know how long they, they, they were in discourse together, the mere presence of Elijah in Moses was significant. Elijah being important figures for Peter and James and John and all their learning and all their, their growing up, hearing about the first prophet who liberated Israel from slavery. And seeing the man who was supposed to appear before the Messiah would come once again to ultimately redeem Israel, those two people were significant to know they didn't hear the conversation. In this moment, it's not lost on Peter. Peter says, let's go repent. He sees the three major figures, but he says, let's go repent. And the word he uses there would be the same word used in the Septuagint to talk about a house of meeting that was in the Testament of the Bible. Let's go content. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. We'll have a rooftop or a mountaintop of scripture over here. And Mark gives us a glimpse that the reality is the only reason that Peter said this is because he didn't know what else to say. He was so awestruck that he was actually fearful. He was afraid. Perhaps he wanted to preserve the moment. But it wasn't the moment that was to be preserved. So he probably often said that we find out that a cloud appears and a voice from the cloud came. Not only is the Savior up there, the Messiah, but you have Elijah and Moses, and now the cloud comes, and the voice of God, Yahweh, the same one that spoke to Moses, comes. And, and perhaps we would think, man, okay, six days, and the Lord stayed on the mountain for six days. Yahweh was there instructing Moses for six days, and there's going to be some new wonderful teaching that's going to happen, and, and Peter, James, and John are going to hear this, and the only thing that they get is, hey, this is my son, listen to him. This is my son. Listen to him. They have been listening to him for a little while already, haven't they? There's been a couple years that they have been following Jesus, Listening to the things that he said, sometimes they understood what he meant, but most of the time they had no clue what he was talking about. 
Yahweh says to them, This is my son. They were hoping for some more direction. It seems to me like they got that. Maybe they just need some more time, and maybe they would understand. And perhaps that's the truth is is that the disciples needed more time to understand what Jesus was talking about when he talked about suffering truth. Thank you. 
Thank you. 